What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 29 of the Chat It Up podcast. As always, I'm your host, Shooter, bringing you interviews, news, and reviews about all things Upper Peninsula. Hope you all had a wonderful weekend. I spent mine camping at uh, Van Riper State Park uh, over in Michigami. So I'm a little tired, and I definitely smell like a campfire, but uh, I had a great time, that's for sure. So uh, I've got a really great interview for you guys this week, uh, but before we get to that, let's run through a few segments. Uh, so first off, it's Youper News, and my first piece of Youper News is one that I'm sure everyone's already seen, and that's uh, this controversy with Mountain Dew in a recent ad campaign where they made the UP a part of Wisconsin on their map. Um, Now, honestly, this isn't anything new. Um, It's been happening to the UP for years and years on various maps. I mean, hell, sometimes we're not even on maps where we're just left off completely. But, of course, we're in the the keyboard warrior era that we we live in, so there there obviously was then social media outrage. so much so, in fact, that Mountain Dew responded and they're going to be doing a special Upper Peninsula uh, Mountain Dew bottle as a part of this promotion that they're doing, basically highlighting all of the states uh, in America. So, it, you know, it's definitely cool that we get our own bottle logo, uh, but a part of me is a little cynical and I wonder if the whole thing was deliberate. You know, the same thing happened a few years ago with another company and their CEO and I'll avoid going into the specifics on that because I don't want to ruffle any feathers or give them any free promotion. But in my opinion, that event also seems staged. And I get that controversy sells. And it's a really easy way to make something go viral. I mean, you basically stop the outrage by extending an olive branch to the locals. And now you have the approximately 300,000 residents of the UP tuned into your brand. And, you know, the, the national recognition is cool, but personally, you know, I'd rather it be genuine instead of this kind of backhanded marketing scheme. But I guess at this point, beggars can't be choosers. Uh, my second piece of Uber news is that uh, I made the news. <laughs> well, sort of anyways. So uh, there's a website called The Pasty Potato, and it's basically the UP's version of The Onion, which The Onion is... All of the articles are jokes and are satire and are meant to be funny. And uh, so over the weekend, the uh, the pasty potato, they released an article that I've written a new book, um, like a sequel to Why is for Youper called T is for Troll, and that I'm working on another one for Illinois called F is for Fibs. <laughs> so uh, while I'm here to say that this is purely a joke and I've not written either of these books, I'm going to give uh, a free plug to this this site Um, They've got a Facebook page and a Twitter, and I think they have an Instagram too. So the Pasty Potato, definitely go and check it out. The articles are absolutely hilarious. And whoever is behind this site, if you're listening to this, you have an open invitation to come on this podcast because I would love to sit down and chat with you about your simple yet genius idea of doing satire about the UP because it, it's it's absolutely genius. Um, if if you're not listening to this, but somebody who is listening happens to know who is behind this site, feel free to slide into my DMs with whatever info you can give me. If it leads to figuring out who this mystery person is behind this site, there will definitely be some some free swag in it for you. Hell, I might even meet up with you and buy you a pasty because. Myself and a few of my friends, we've been doing some digging and some internet sleuthing, and we have yet to come up with anything concrete. So help us solve this mystery and figure out who's running the pasty potato. Um, all right, so that was you, you, Youper News. Now we'll move into uh, This Day in Youper History, which is brought to you by the good folks at pasty.com and the Pasty Central Facebook page. Again, that's P-A-S-T-Y.com and the Pasty Central Facebook page. So here is July 22nd, this day in Uper history. Pasty Central Day in History, July 22nd. On this day in 1908, Alfred J. Fisher formed the Fisher Body Company. 
Fisher Body built millions of automobile bodies for General Motors, each of which wore a tiny badge on the panel just ahead of the front door that said, Body by Fisher. The wealth of the Fisher Brothers enabled them to purchase and promote their private retreat in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, known as the Sylvania Club. Thirty square miles of landlocked lakes and virgin timber in the heart of the Ottawa National Forest which entertained regular visitors such as President Eisenhower, Lawrence Welk, and Bing Crosby in its heyday. In 1966, the Forest Service purchased the property known today as the Sylvania Wilderness Area. Pasty Central Day in History, July 22nd. All right, thanks again to Pasty.com and the Pasty Central Facebook page for this day in Uper history. It's time for this week's interview, and it is with my friend Nina Itner. Nina is the executive director of the Upper Peninsula Children's Museum, and her story is not only cool and inspiring, but it's also a lot of fun. But I'm going to just let her tell you it, because she'll probably do a way better job than I ever could. So without further ado, let's chat it up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am sitting here with Nina Itner. Nina, thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm super pumped. My pleasure. Unbeknownst to you, when I first sat down before I started doing this whole podcast, I sat down and said, I'm going to make a list of everybody that I think would be great to kind of talk to. And you were one of the first people on that oh, list. Oh, well, so I'm, I'm honored. It, it's taken a year for me to get around to, <laughs> to you on the list, but you were on that very first oh, list that I did. You. So I appreciate you thank coming you. on. So, thank you. So I'll kind of let the cat out of the bag right of the, right away. Um, obviously, you're not a born and raised Uper, right? You're from Midland, I'm correct? I'm from Midland, Michigan. I am. Okay. So when you look back and you think of, of growing up in Midland, what comes to mind for you? Um, what comes to mind in Midland? Well, um, you know, it, it, Midland was like an amazing place to live. Okay. And, you know, and all of those experiences that I had growing up in that particular town, because it was a really very wealthy town, but very pretentious town. Okay. Shh, don't tell anybody in Midland I said that. But <laughs> it's very pretentious. And so much wealth and so much have the haves and have nots. But yet, it was. It had so much opportunity. Sure, it, incredible opportunity. So, the, I I grew up with things to do and places to go and and programs to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And then when I moved to Marquette in 1980, <laughs> it was a different world back then. Sure, you know I moved to Marquette because I was uh, I had gotten married mm -hmm. and I was an art teacher, mm -hmm. and so I started teaching art in Ishpeming. And it was a, just a different world. Right. And so one of my dreams was to bring some of the things that I'd grown up with, the programs and the opportunities, to these people sure. that I was teaching. Okay. And then, of course, in Ishpeming, I, I had great fun things. And then, of course, but I lived in Marquette. Right. And then, of course, Marquette became my heart and soul and my love, and I will never leave this place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love to hear you talk about it, but uh, to, just to backtrack just a little bit. Um, so when you, you mentioned kind of, you know, coming up to Marquette and, and bringing kind of that, the experiences and the things that you kind of grew up with um, and, and the programs and the things that you enjoyed, um, do you feel like being exposed to that was really what kind of made you know that you wanted to go into art education was just having a love for it very early on or is that something that kind of grew well, over time art was you know I was a real tunnel visioned person okay you know I um I loved art in, mm -hmm. in when I was in high school elementary school I loved art mm -hmm. and then when I went to the University of Michigan I yeah. only wanted to go into art now I think back, I think, man, I wish I would have tried all these other things. I, I mean, really, I wish I could have been a volcanologist. That was the thing I really, my dream uh, in life. But, you know, I, I, but I was a, I'm a driven person. You know, sure. I was going to be an art teacher. That's what I was going to be. And that's what I became. And I didn't try anything else. Sure. Um, but yet, art has been my is systemic in me it's part it's what i love and mm -hmm. um and the culture arts and culture and and um it just builds a rich 
community and if a person is exposed to arts and cultures they become mm -hmm. a, a, a stronger richer more interesting person so I you know so that it was really a driving force yeah as far as the the education or teaching side of your art education did you always kind of have that desire to, to teach people? Because, I mean, it takes a special person to be a teacher. As a yes. former teacher, I feel like, I, you know, I can, I can kind of say that, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. So. Well, but that's an interesting thing, though, is I love my art. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do, I do art. Yeah, you, you know, have I mean, art I'm, everywhere. He's sitting in my office, which is a sensory overload. <laughs> but, but yet, I was never all that good. Okay. And so... Uh, but when you're when you go to art school in in university setting, oftentimes you become um, a jack of all trades and a master of nothing. Sure. And that's kind of what I was. I yeah. dabbled, dabbled, dabbled. But I could teach, you know, jewelry. I could teach ceramics. I mm -hmm. could teach painting. You know, I, I I had experienced all of it. And um, but I was never good enough to be like a real artist. Okay. And and I although you know I did I I participated in shows. I've gotten best of shows. I've you know I've I've you know but but that's not my art now is this children's museum. Sure. That that's but, but it's a you know it's that creative outlet. Yes. You know that thing that you kind of like a piece of clay that you can mm -hmm. you can create into something else. I mean, that's what I see in my day to day life. Sure, I, I can totally relate to that. Is there any one type of art that you're more drawn to? I mean, because art is so all encompassing of a yeah. word, but is there anything you feel more of a pull towards? I I, I like to draw. You like to draw, you know, like you know those sure. these drawings. I just like to draw images. But then you know, I really love painting but I was never all that good at it sure someday maybe <laughs> <laughs> I took a couple workshops that I came out with some nice pieces yeah there you go <laughs> so you said you went to U of M and you, you kind of moved up here in in 1980 was there any sort of like in between time before you moved up to the UP or was it like a fresh out of school no, and then I, I taught down, you did? I taught downstate. Okay, whereabouts? Um, in Dundee. Dundee, okay. Actually, Everett. I taught oh. in Everett first, which is a little teeny-weeny town. Sure. And uh, filled a maternity leave, and then I then I went to Dundee, and I taught there until I moved up here in 1980. Okay, so all of a sudden you move up to the UP, to the UP. UP, yeah. Had you had a lot of experience with coming up here prior to no. that? No. So no. was it like... You just came up here blind. So well, I mean, my, what was that like for you? My husband at the time, and I'm no longer married to him, but he, he was my, he was somebody who lived next door to me in Midland, and so okay. I've known him all my life, and um, and his family was from the UP, ah. and so you, this was utopia. Yes. You know, he would when he was a kid, they would take the kids the first day after school. They take them over that doggone bridge and they drop them off in the farm in Evan Junction and they'd have to, they'd take off their belts. That was always what he said. We'd take off our belts and we'd put rope in there and then they would just play on the farm sure. and in Evan Junction. So he, he this was utopia. And, and But my first exposure to um, the upper peninsula, and mind you, I, I'm a city girl. I'm mm -hmm. a city girl, like it or not, I like I like baths, you know, at night. <laughs> I like I like my electricity. I like all the amenities. You know, I was I was pampered as a child, actually. Right. And and so, but when when what, but my ex husband, this the utopia was like the the old shack in the woods. Oh, you know, sure, of sure, the yeah, UP, yeah, you know, yeah. and where where we were cook, cooking morel mushrooms and maggots were jumping out of them. <laughs> and that was like, oh my god. But but um. But then you know I we moved to Marquette and mm -hmm. um, and it and like my dad would come up here and he'd say oh Neen oh Neen you moved to the fringe of the of the ice cap what what are you doing honey what are you doing <laughs> but um, but we we you know we lived um, you know in a, just a place on on Fourth Street for a while and then we moved to a house on Lakewood Lane okay where the, I mean you, you you can't live by this lake and not like just become completely enamored with it true it just it becomes true. like a member of your family and the personality just becomes a part of everyday life and um and so um yeah so i, I you know it's a it's it's 
it's it's I totally fell in love hook line and sinker but like I said 1980 was a different time in it this was. town and this town and one of the things I've always thought about when you when you move to Marquette you know you can come from Ann Arbor you can come from Detroit you can come from all these other metropolises and you you might you might participate in the arts in these other other places in you know as a as a as a, a, a like a performance goer or a theater goer but here you can actually do it absolutely and that's that's what the difference was when i came here i realized fairly soon i looked around and i'd say you know this hey we need a we need a children's museum or hey you know we need a park or hey you know i realized no it was me i had to i had to be the driving force in some of these projects because I couldn't look to other people, but I could do it. And I, I don't think I could have done any of what I've done in my life in Ann Arbor sure. if I would have stayed there. I would have just been a worker person. Okay. That, that's but here, I've, I've done dream. I've created, I've been able to do dreams of mine. Absolutely. Because, because of this is, but that, but any everybody can do that. Seems like everyone can here. Mm-hmm. It's just um, we're all. It's really ripe for that kind of flourishing ideas. I would I would agree with you, and that's very insightful of you to to kind of have that realization that you know doing it here, you may not have had the same you know outlook or story had you not yeah. come to the UP. Yeah, so, absolutely. Can you walk me through a little bit how the the transition kind of out of teaching happened? And, and yeah, well, I was teaching in Ishpeming because yep. when I first moved to Marquette, I got the job immediately, which was kind of crazy and fun in this place <laughs> that, I, that I couldn't even understand half the dialects <laughs> that were coming at me. Um, but I loved them. You know, Ishpeming was like the most amazingly embracing community for this young teacher that sure. I was. Yeah. And I mean, my students, I mean, I had wonderful students. I still, I love the fact that I, my students will come and they'll say, hi, Mrs. Hittner. Whoa, I commanded respect once, you know. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, I, I love it. I have this whole band of these people who um, are grown up now that, that come to see me uh, here at the museum and, um, and, and, re- and remind me of fun things. But but the teaching teaching in Ishpeming um, was really good, and 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 then but then I started having babies, mm-hmm. and um, I had um, my first child in 1984. Okay, and um, then I I. I I mean, I love my baby, but boy, she she drove me back to work. So after ten <laughs> months, I went back to work again. Like, whoa, uh, that was a very all all consuming. Um, right. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, I love her. I don't don't. But I, you know, I don't know if I was really meant to be a stay at home mom. But um, but then I went back to work, and then I had my second child in 1987, and um, within. About a month of giving birth, I, um, I, I gutted my basement and started a, a business, a home-based business of okay. painted clothing. Okay. And so I did that um, at home. And then at about the same time, I started this kind of idea that this place needed a children's museum. This community needed a children's museum. So in 1987 is really when I started that whole thing. Oh, wow. Okay. um, Yes. And um, I had an opportunity at that time to... to kind of get involved in the Kellogg Foundation. And... um, and it was um, the Kellogg Youth Initiatives Partnership. And what they were doing is trying to just educate leaders about the needs of kids. And Kellogg did a very interesting study at that time where they chose um, three different, um, actually four different communities in the state of Michigan. There was a way. They took Ban- uh, Battle Creek, Detroit, oh, and Elger, and Marquette. So it was, oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, so what kind of impact we have on those communities. So one of the one of the things they did was they took people like me and I just randomly said yes. I mean, I, I think it was because I was on maternity leave and I thought, oh yeah, okay, I'll do that. 
and they educated me about um, youth programs and um, you know what makes an exemplary youth program and in my little head you know I mean I was thinking of all these different things but um, but one of them was this children's museum, but they 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 taught me what a foundation was I didn't know what philanthropy was. I sure. didn't know any of that And so they they basically it was just fortuitous for me because it, I was ready. I was like um, I was at that point where I just any little I was soaking in any little bit of knowledge I could and um, and then I was I blurted it out in <laughs> something that I started to work on, but um, but so that's that's when I gathered people, mm-hmm. and I realized I, there was a crazy time in my life when I had this harebrained idea of doing this children's museum, and so I actually got on the docket of different service clubs, mm-hmm. and I don't even know how in God's name I ever had the guts <laughs> to stand up in front of all these people and tell them that I think they should build a children's museum. And and these people would look at me like, what? What? They were, I remember the noon rotary at Holiday Inn, this whole group of men in mm-hmm. the back thought I was a, like a, a nutcase. I think they <laughs> thought I really had some issues. But anyway, um, but you know what? That was that was those were the epiphany moments when I sure. realized it wasn't them that was going to build a children's museum. It had to be me, and I had to figure out how. So that's when we started gathering people, and yeah. we started thinking and dreaming and and you know scheming and um, and so um, and then I also found that in all the different projects I've been in, um, oftentimes projects of this magnitude you have to have like just one crazy person who's never going to give up mm-hmm. and i think that's that's what i was for this organization that's what i was for the skate plaza you know just something that i was never going to give up i will stick with that until sure. the bitter end sure because not i'm guessing as you kind of alluded to with you know the the guys looking at you like you're crazy not everybody can see the vision and so i'm sure you obviously run into then Yep. Your fair share in naysayers. Right. But here's the other thing that I think is something about me personally that um, is I have I have a problem seeing the negative in things, and that's not really good because <laughs> I because I need people around me to say you know to pull me my reins in. Sure. But I would not let anyone say that to me when I started this project. All I could see was possibility. All I could see. That's all. so I kept going at it, and and then. I surrounded myself with people who, um, you know, when we would have one failure after another, we'd all just say, oh, okay, failed that one. <laughs> okay, we're going to keep going. Right. And so then we'd go on with the next thing. You know, I remember I, I one partner um, in, is, was my assistant, um, and he, get, he would just say, okay, cry a little bit, now let's move on. <laughs> that, yeah, that's a, good, that's a good way to kind of, yeah. or a good perspective to have. Yeah. I... Uh, I also really like that you brought up that, you know, this idea first started in the late 80s. But, I mean, you you really didn't have, like, concrete, okay, we're there till 1991, right? Oh, so, yeah, I, know. I, I mean, so, oh, yeah, I so know. That's, that's four years. It's not like this happened overnight. It's oh. like a, a four-year grind to, to make no, that man. happen. And, I, you know, I help a, I, I've helped a countless um, people who have wanted to do like projects in other places. Mm-hmm. And I always, you know, that's a really tough pill for people to swallow. It's not going to happen in a year. It's Absolutely. not going to happen overnight. Right. It just doesn't. No. And you, you have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, it, there was a funny thing when we we used to meet at my house. Okay. And, um, and it was funny because we would always have, the people would come to my house and, and they would, I would always put out wine and everybody would have a notebook. And so my children one time were playing meeting and they got out wine glasses and notebooks. That's <laughs> we're great. having a meeting, they said. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah, right. I, I, I still believe all meetings need wine, but that's, yeah, wine and candy. I, those are two things. Oh, that's have, great. Yeah. So, okay, so around 1991 or 92 when you really kind of started offering programs, how did um, you know 
getting this spot, this building. I mean, how did how did everything kind of fall into place for you? It was it was a crazy ride, but you know what happened was again the Kellogg Foundation. Um, they 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 bought into us, but they here we have we decided to take this building downtown, which is it was an industrial part of downtown. Wasn't this a warehouse? It was a big warehouse. It was it was um, uh, all cold storage, mm-hmm. and it was filled with people who were in the military who were like overseas, and all of their belongings were here. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just a creepy place with you know this lights hanging from the ceiling on <laughs> on strings, and um, oh, there was an elevator where you had to put two wires, literally two wires together, and it would bring you up, um, <laughs> and. But um, it, we um, we couldn't we didn't have any money at the very beginning nothing. Sure. But there was there again another epiphany where um, the Kellogg Foundation was a they funded programming they didn't fund bricks and mortar. Sure. And um, then suddenly somebody said, "Let's design the Children's Museum through a program with kids." Sure. Oh my God! Genius, genius, absolute genius. So that's exactly what we did. Yeah. And so the Kellogg Foundation invested in us for three years, and then because sometimes when you've got a bandwagon that's rolling down the street, others jump on your bandwagon. So that's exactly what happened. Sure. They gave us credibility. Yeah. And then by designing it with kids, gave us a uniqueness that mm-hmm. was. Um, touted by a lot of other places and people would come here to watch and see what happened and look at the unique things that these kids were coming up with and um, just you know and that was also just right we believed in kids mm-hmm. we believe in their unique ideas they're kind of you know their ideas that aren't um, you know um, they aren't influenced by a lot of outside um, things they're just fresh fun exciting ideas they're not influenced by all these feelings of oh embarrassment or anything sure. like that but yeah so we we pretty much did that and we started doing that in 1991 is when we got incorporated got our nonprofit mm-hmm. status then we inhabited this building then uh, we we kind of needed some tenants and so we had some tenants but then our tenants left us <laughs> and Angela's bakery was still down there though that sure. was always down there and then um, but then we kind of partnered with Gala Joy and he did the creative performance workshops and mm-hmm. so we had um, we had kids in here performing and um, you know practicing circus tricks and stuff <laughs> but um, but then we had, you know, I would always, there was a building inspector guy that would, we would always get scared when he'd come up here. And, oh, no. But anyway, yeah, we made it through all that. Well, and again, it wasn't an overnight thing. I mean, I don't think you made your first major renovations till like at least 1995. We, yes, so, and we opened our doors to the first exhibit hall in 1997. And it was okay. interesting, and it was interesting because... We were doing a lot in here. You know, we had to do just systemic stuff. Mm-hmm. We had to, like, change the heating, and we had to do everything, you know, electricity, everything. And um, and a lot of it was being done by volunteer laborers and labor groups and, you know, service clubs. And, sure. Whoa. Um, and, but, but really what made the, the community get all excited though is when we put scaffolding outside to fix a window or something and suddenly everyone whoa they're doing something oh yeah right building. yeah when they yeah. can see it from the from the yeah. exterior for sure right so yeah but we it, it, you know we had you know when we were building this and designing it we were engaging tons and tons of partners and that those partners then became donors and that was a real big part of the how we did everything Sure, and I mean it's still a big part of how you do things mm-hmm. to this day. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I had down here is, you know, your love of this community definitely shines through, and you're constantly helping out with not only fundraisers for here but other people's mm-hmm. fundraisers, yeah. and you're constantly getting involved in so many different ways year in and year out. What do you think it is that? Keep, keeps the motor going that gives you that drive year in and year out to kind of you know keep raising those funds and keep having so, you know the attitude you do because I mean you're kind of the energizer bunny 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm getting old. Um, <laughs> it's it's all about people. You know, I'm doing this because it's just a good. Even helps people, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, everything I do, everything. I think I feel most proud because I'm building places and things to help other people. Sure. And you know, it's interesting because um, I always said, "Oh, I'm building a children's museum so my kid for my kids." And so for to have them go there. But when my kids, by the time I opened the museum, they were too old. Right. You know, I didn't really care about the children. I had to drag them here. I remember <laughs> I had to drag my oldest daughter here um, for the opening, you know, a grand opening, because she didn't really want to come. And she was just a teenager. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I said, oh, honey, you know, here's a snake. You can hold a snake. <laughs> and everyone will think you're so, so amazing. You'll be holding a snake. And then the snake pooped all over her and oh. all right in her shoe. So it was pretty horrible. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, but, you know, I um, probably in my life, I'm, I'm most proud of my children and, um, and, and, and my grandchildren now. But, but it's also the fact that I've, you know, I, I, I've tried to help other people. Sure. It's, and, you know, it's just a joy to be able to walk through the museum and see kids laughing and parents playing with sure. their kids. And, um, and then, you know, if there's another organization that's doing a fundraiser, if I can help in any way with, you know, yeah, I will. I will never say no. I Even mean, playing basketball. <laughs> yeah, right. Even playing basketball. But those kind of things are fun. They are. <laughs> I know we're good at uh, them, but I, those are always fun things. Now, yeah. obviously, you're you're not just uh, a fundraiser. So what kind of really goes into the day-to-day life for you, you here know, as the I executive am, director? That's very smart, though, Scott, because I am not a professional fundraiser. No. And people always think I am but you know I don't have the savvy of a fundraiser I've learned a lot through the trenches you know yeah right in the trenches um, but um, but you know every single day here is is interesting mm-hmm. is different um, and um, and I get distracted a lot with <laughs> different things um, but you know um, it's just it's it's hard to even describe but you know I you know I um yeah, it's just different every day. You know, I've got, always got, you know, I might be I'm helping, you know, paint a sign or I might be writing a grant. I do a lot of grant writing. I sure. do a lot of thinking through events. Um, I do a lot of um, um, HR stuff, just mm-hmm. silly HR stuff that always seems to get in the way. Um, you know, those are things that never go away. You know, do the bills. i got to process the POS. I've got to, you know, do the payroll and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, it's, yeah, every day is different. Would you say that the fact that every day is different is what you kind of enjoy most about the job? Or yeah. is, or, I mean, is there something kind of more that sticks out as really kind of your, your favorite part of all this? Uh, I like to, I like, um, I, I like feeling like I accomplish things that 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 are are good I um, you know I do I'm on a lot of boards too sure but everything comes back to this children's museum and you know and I I'll be on other boards because I think that my involvement in that board will help this place sure Um, and this place is my heart and soul this is I always call it my third child with special (laughs) needs but but yeah it I do everything for this place now. Right. And, you know, and, and, and people, people keep asking me, aren't you going to retire? And, um, and I am. I am going to retire one day. And, 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 I, and I'm kind of trying to start seeing, I'm kind of trying to see that, that, that date um, in my head. But, but the problem is, is that this place and everything I do, my boards, my people, the people I see on the streets, they're all part of um, my self-concept. It's who I am. Okay. And when I take it away, I'm not sure who I am anymore. You know, I, I'll have to reinvent myself. I know people think, you know, people retire all the time, but uh, I just adore what I do. I adore everything. I adore all the people, all the conversations. Like right now, the symphony is in the back room meeting sure that was the meeting that i was supposed to be at the i forgot <laughs> wow about. i <laughs> i got I, I stepped above the symphony I, <laughs> you did don't um, mean to toot my own horn but, but yeah beep beep but i but you know those all of those things i think uh, help to um 
I feel like I'm doing something good for others, and then, but it's also doing something huge for me too, sure. because it's what I love to do. I love just doing things. What what sort of what challenges you the most about about running this place? Well, you know, I say I love the people, but the HRist issues are the hardest things for me. Sure. Because I I, I like everyone to to ha- be happy and get along, and when they don't, <laughs> it's like, ooh, you know, I don't know how to deal with that one. Right. But I'm a I'm a person too that, you know, like I have a a, a current issue right now that um, I had to really, I I have this basic philosophy that when something comes at me, I have to blow away the smoke of the emotions. I have to figure out what the problem is underneath everything and I've got to try to address that instead of the emotions that are floating everywhere. And so this current problem, I have spent a month researching it. Sure. You know, just look, just talking to people and listening to what people, the advice people are giving and and um, I finally made my decisions of, of but but it, what I'm making the decisions, what is the best thing for this organization? Sure. So this organization can be strong and have the backbone and the policies in place to um, to be able to when this problem happens again to be able to nip it in the bud. Sure. Um, but you know, human people are people, you know, and. Um, um, we have a lot of diverse people who work here, sure. and I love diversity. I love I love people who are different and and different ways of thinking and um, young people, and I love all that. But um, but then people have issues, you know. Sure. And that's probably my biggest challenge. <laughs> that's okay. Well, that you, no, you did a great job answering that. Um, <laughs> that's right. You've done so many different events and cool programs and exhibits and such over the years are there any that really kind of stand out to you that have been like real you know close to your heart or ones that you kind of find as like some of your favorites that you've done well i i do tell the story of designing the bathrooms that was a great (laughs) so it's kind of a long story but i'll try to do a little synopsis of it um, you know, we had to design bathrooms, and mm-hmm. we had some um, we had some design problems because there was a big pole in the middle of the room, and and um, so what we did was there was a teacher over at uh, Nagani High School, and he was a CAD teacher, and he wanted he wanted he came to me and he said, Nina, I want my kids to design something real. They're designing like sports, you know, sports facilities, and you know, and then none of it's going to happen. What can they design there? So what we did was we took these kids, and there were like eight kids, eight boys and like one girl. And we, um, you know, we took them through this whole, I had uh, like Barry Polson come in and talk about, you know, architecture. And I had plumbers come in and blah, blah, blah. They designed checkered floor bathrooms, you know, just black and white, you know, stupid things. And I was like, whoa, okay, you know, this is, you know, this is part of our design process, our designosaurus, we call it. And um, then... One of my partners at Northern Initiative says, "Let's let's get a bus and take these kids down to Kohler, Wisconsin." So we did. We took these kids down to Kohler, Wisconsin. We took them to the toilet factory. We took them through that whole design toilet bathroom design center, yeah, um, where they have like Gothic bathrooms, and country <laughs> bathrooms, sure. and you know, and they and then they came back to Marquette or to to, to Nagani, and they designed go and learn bathrooms these ex- kind of like you know and then um one of them was a was a, a woodland theme and they and because we had a pipe in the middle of the bathroom they made the urinal in the pipe so it was a tree yep. you know so you tr- pee on a tree pee on a and, tree you know i mean just probably my favorite thing about this yeah, place right i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i know so i love it <laughs> this i mean just that it, this, that whole design concept and so what they did then they were just so proud of what they decided so then I went back to the giving people at Kohler and I said you know would you guys ever fund this project well they said no you know we don't we don't um because you're out of our philanthropic circle but come on come to the American Club I'll take you guys the guys I'll take you guys out for lunch these and you guys can pitch something to me mm-hmm. so these kids got dressed in their little suits and ties and their little fancy outfits and they went down we took them to american club they had the three by five cards and, and blueprints and everything 
that guy said to me later, he said, you know, all the 20 some years I've been doing this, he said that was the most, you know, heartfelt, most wonderful presentation I've ever seen from these kids. So he ended up then um, not being able to give us money, but he gave us all the fixtures, everything. Now, you know, fast forward 22 years later, probably sure. one faucet is left, <laughs> right? Know, and the urinal doesn't really work very well. It's a sporadic, uh. sporadic flusher. Um, but, but you know what? Um, you know, that, that was just true to this whole, like, empowering kids and sure. making something really s- amazing happen. Yeah, that's and, a great um, story. I know. It, it was just a lovely thing. And and then, recently, we had to change out the toilets because we had to get higher capacity toilets because they were always plugging up. And then uh, we had a whole other kind of a process with that where you could name a toilet <laughs> kind of a thing. And, yeah, so now we have little tiny toilets. Oh, there. okay, yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, made my, I made my staff put bars on either side because I'll tell you, you right, know, yeah. trying to go to the bathroom on those and get up was a little challenge. <laughs> so you kind of just briefly mentioned, you know, 22 years later, I'm assuming then you have all sorts of people come through here with their kids oh, that yeah. were here as kids. Oh that, gosh, yeah. And and maybe even their kids' oh, yeah. kids. Oh yeah. That's got to be a pretty oh, yeah. it's got to be a pretty surreal but pretty neat. It is pretty cool. And I was telling someone that just yet yeah, last night at a at a grants award from for Kiwanis. I said, "Yeah, well, I've got some some kids coming now with their grandkids, you know. They're sure. adu- they're you know, so and that, you know, it all kind of works that way. <laughs> but you know, here's something though that that I have to I have to say. Um, you know, I've I build this museum, I, I watch the museum, but I have gotten the greatest joy of all, the greatest, absolute joy of all, is taking that little four-year-old grandson of mine and playing here. Oh my God, it, you know, it really, it made me so proud because we played hard and, you know, and it wasn't like taking him to the park. It wasn't the play that we have at home. Mm-hmm. It was a whole different kind of play. It was it was imagination. It was like we were we were play actors in some performance and his imagination was just soaring and he was telling me things that he normally oh my god, it was it was like perfect. <laughs> you know, of course my my staff hates it when I do that, play with my grandchildren because I come back with this laundry list of things that need to get fixed or changed. <laughs> you know, like we gotta have a button for this, and we got in Monty wants this, and Monty wants that. But oh my God, we it, they 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 were it was wonderful. It made it it made me think. Okay, Nina, yep, it's all okay now. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay now. You you could probably retire now because that was that was perfect. You know, <laughs> to play with that little boy of mine. That's really great. Yeah, you uh. It seems like there's a never-ending kind of cycle of new and cool things that are, like, going on here for the kids. Is there any kind of stuff coming up that you'd want to plug or kind of well, put out there? Well, you know, that... we have our, that body exhibit, which is my cross to bear. But, um, you know, it, I don't have – I only have one exhibits guy. Yeah. And my one exhibits guy um, is pulled in every direction. And he yeah. has a – he's trying really hard to build this exhibit. And But yet, you know, the, the toys break, the, you know, the cars break, the, you know, lights go out, sure. the, you know, everything needs to get fixed. And especially at this very busy time, you, you know, he'll be able to spend more time on it on sure. in September. But, um, but that exhibit will be really super cool when that's all done. It's going to be super cool. And we just opened up the head again. Mm-hmm. And uh, the head had a whole new redo. And uh, Lizzie Ellen helped us with that. And we've had a couple, we had a couple of other people who um, participate in it as well um, making it happen but um, yeah it's but you know a lot of times we go back and just sort of you know embellish other things like we had um, Trevor Flynn um, with Flynn Designs uh, came one day with his kids and he said you know I can help you put a green screen in there so with his initiative and his you know uh, soliciting his parent company we were able to put a whole green screen downstairs, which is like phenomenal. And another thing that I sit with my little grandson in and, and, sure, and laugh play. and <laughs> laugh and laugh and oh my gosh, I'm going on a love of you, it's a Ferris wheel or a, you know, or, you know whatever. So anyway, it's fun. Well, and it's a great example of you know you had talked about you you know you love to help people, and this place is uh, a prime example of not only 
you helping people, but then the community and people helping you banding together and making cool stuff happen. Yeah, fun fun stuff happen. Yeah, it is. And you know, we're also a real grassroots place, which is very much so. Marquette is is a community that comes together. It comes together. You do a call for something, and they will come. They will do it. And I, I, you know. I, I think I always call us the quintessential repurposers because everything you see in this office was somebody else's at some point, <laughs> you know, and right. honestly, everything, I don't think there's anything in here that I bought new, but maybe these pens right here, <laughs> but you know, and I've been sitting at this desk for how many years, right. but, but I, you know, I, I think that's really special because when you give me the toys that your child had played with, but they're still in peak condition, and you give those to me, you feel invested in this place. Mm-hmm. You feel like, oh, you've, you've take, you've, you've, you're giving, and you're helping another kid to have fun. So that, that happens all the time. You know, uh, people are very generous with us. Very, very generous. I it's, love it. It's, really it's nice all it's all great stuff. It's really it's it really, is. it's a reflection of this community. Yeah. But where I I'm not so sure. I mean, I go to children's museums all over the country. This one is special. I would really agree. Special. I've only been to a few, but the this one is definitely there's something something special about it. Is Must there? be something in the the water a block over. Yeah, right. <laughs> something in that water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is there anything else that you want to add that I didn't touch on? Because we've hit like every checkbox that I was hoping to hit, and then some. So I don't know if there's anything else you feel like you kind of want to add. Well, you know, I guess for me, it's it would be uh, just thanking thanking this this community for being what it is and who people who they are and. And, uh, and 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 letting me entertaining me with all of these ideas and um, and being a part of it. And I think about you know when I did the skate plaza, how many people rose to help make that happen. Sure. And Stu Bradley, who was at my side every day, Herb Freeborn, who helped <laughs> gather those kids. And, I mean, just all of those things are really pretty cool, pretty special things. And and uh, and this this. This museum is filled with uh, stories and people, and um, it's all about a community. Mm-hmm. I'm just lucky that I live here. I'll never leave. And I can bring my dog to work every day. Perfect, yeah. Sitting on my desk. <laughs> so I'm going to throw you for a, a huge curveball because I know you haven't listened to the podcast, so you don't know this, but I end every single podcast with the same question. And that question is, how do you like your pasty? How do I like my pasty? A vegetarian. <laughs> Okay, so you like a vegetarian pasty? I'm a vegetarian pasty. I like Laurie's vegetarian pasties. Okay, fair enough. Or do you put any ketchup? Or I put ketchup on ke- mine. Okay, so you're mm-hmm. a ketchup person? I'm a ketchup. I've gotten so many mm-hmm. interesting answers. I, I've gotten, obviously, <laughs> gravy and ketchup. I've gotten I've gotten a hot sauce. Um, the most interesting one, for sure, was hummus. Someone likes oh. hummus on theirs. So it, it it's a very telling on on someone's personality it's kind of like a like a youper rorschach test so to speak as to <laughs> so. there's there's a book i read to my my grandsons um called olson's meat pasty or no olson's meat pies it's a uh, swedish book oh okay about this guy that makes meat pies and then his his bookkeeper steals all the money and then he doesn't have anything to buy anything so he's putting everything in his meat pies and grinding it up and then people are eating their pie and they find a wristwatch and a toy soldier and anyway it's an adorable it's adorable story and so I told Mukti my four-year-old grandson because I have a, a one-year-old grandson too that is a very busy boy but um <laughs> I, I love him to death but whoa, whoa he wears me out but Mukti I, I said we're gonna go get an Olsen's meat pie so I went and I took him over to um, uh, Laurie's and we went in we smelled it we loved it and it yeah. smelled so good and we got all the ketchup and got it and he would not touch that would thing. not eat it <laughs> <laughs> he would not oh, touch it maybe it'll grow on him went, someday ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well Nina I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast um, this has been like really great oh, you're, a, you're you, a great Scott. storyteller and not only that but your story is super compelling and it's just as much a piece of the story of Marquette as anything else, which is really, really cool, especially just because you love this city so much and 
you can say that your your story is a big part of it and, and this place is too so thank you again for for coming on the podcast yeah, i appreciate it it was my pleasure and i thank you very much okay it's time for the takeaways from my chat with nina the first one that i have is taking ownership of turning your dreams into realities when nina was bold enough to start creating the children's museum she knew that she had to roll up her sleeves and make it happen herself. Now, that's not to say that she didn't have help along the way because she definitely did, but the start of all of it was her realization that if she didn't act on her dream, then nobody else would. And that's really powerful. Whatever dreams you yourself have, you know, you'll undoubtedly need help along the way. But the first step of action needs to come from you and you alone. My second takeaway from my chat with Nina is giving yourself time to succeed. Dreams don't happen overnight. And Nina's story is a prime example of that. It took years of hard work, collaboration, and ups and downs before her dream came to fruition. And in today's day and age, the, you know, social media and technology and everything, we're very much looking for instant gratification. And if we don't get it from something, we just move on in search of that next thing that's going to give us that sense of gratification. But you can't do that with your dreams. You need to respect the grind, you know, soak in all of the, the good and the bad and allow yourself time to grow. You also need time to fail because you're undoubtedly going to fail. You need time to adapt. You need time to overcome. You need time for all of it. So my challenge for everyone listening in this week that's out there chasing a dream is give yourself time because that just might be the difference between a dream staying a dream or it becoming your reality. Chat it up is a bi-weekly podcast about all things Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Wherever you're listening in, please subscribe, rate, and leave me a review. You can also find Chatted Up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for listening in. I'm your host, Shooter, reminding you to keep your chin up and your eyes forward.